the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya. Please subscribe. We love having all of you part of our community because you get to hear great content like today. You may never have heard of this individual, but you're going to be glad that you did. His name is Zeke Arkham. Found him on Twitter. Listen to his Twitter profile, Cop with Attitude, the notorious COP. This part's my favorite. Pronouns, bruh and brother. All opinions are my own. American Patriot, hashtag all lives matter. He has a unique perspective. It's fearless. And he's been called a lot of names. But I think once you listen to this, the only thing you're going to call him is sensible, smart, common sense, no nonsense, and a guy you'd love to have a beer with. Stick around. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Zeke, I've been so looking forward to having you on the show for so many reasons. Welcome. Um, Let's just start from why you started to speak out. You are, as the kids say these days, you are fire on Twitter. You are are just laying it out there, no holds barred. You're not afraid of anyone or any topic. And I'm just wondering what made you decide to become so vocal in your beliefs? Well, I started my Twitter account just answering back some of the false accusations that were going against cops, that were going against conservatives, you know, mostly for cops. I saw a lot of misinformation out there from people who had never done a day of patrol in their lives. So I said, let me balance the narrative. Let me put my story out there and let me start answering some of these people. So I started telling my story. I started talking about what actually goes on in police locker rooms and at police roll calls, you know, in police cruisers between two cops just discussing the job, discussing their families, things like that. And people started picking it up. You know, it started gaining traction. A lot of people, more people started following me. More people started asking me for more of my perspective, more of the truth that goes out there. And I started providing it. And one tweet after another, people started following me. And here we are today. (laughs) Honestly, like I never thought I'd get this kind of traction. I never thought people would want the truth so much. You know, a lot of people are stuck on their narratives and for me to dispel those narratives is, is an honor. It's it, you know what? And it's an honor to have you do that because we need people to counter this, this false narrative that is out there or this very one-sided weighted narrative that is out there that does not consider, you know, asking people like you, what made you want to be a cop? When did you become a cop and what drove you to that profession? 
I come from a family of law enforcement. My grandfather was law enforcement. My uncle was law enforcement. And they both instilled in me a respect for cops. You know, I never grew up hating cops. I never grew up thinking that cops were out to get me because I'm a black man in America. You know, I, I just had a deep respect for them. And I, you know, I also knew several cops growing up. You know, I was involved in a couple of police athletic league programs where cops would come in and talk to us. And I've always just asked cops, well, you know, what goes through your mind? You know, what's happening here? And fortunately, I had a lot of cops that really just spoke to me honestly and openly. So I never had that angst in me where I feared cops or thought they were going to shoot me just because I'm, I'm uh, a heavy black person. You know, tat I always say I'm, I'm heavily muscled. I'm tattooed. I have a bald head. I have a beard. I look like I I probably look like I just finished pumping weights in the yard, you know, as they say. So so I never had that fear, I guess, of cops. You know, I always respected them. And I came to a crossroads in my life where I tried to figure out what am I going to do? So I actually applied for the fire department and the police department at the same time. Mm. And I'm a cop today because the cops got back to me first. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, the fire department's probably going, dang, why, why didn't we get quicker <laughs> on that? that? We could think of the good we could be doing through this guy. You know, whenever I talk to, to cops and especially black cops, I'm reminded of an interview that I did on a show called the Dan Levitard podcast. He is a former ESPN guy who now has a, a web a podcast. And he tried to convince me that police were simply, they were born out of that time in America when people chased after slaves who got away. And that's what police still have as their mindset. They're just chasing black people. And it made me sick, the simplification of it. And I, I was astonished that someone could hear in 2023 Believe that narrative. What would you say to someone who, who genuinely believes that? I would ask them to look at the facts and look at the timelines. Uh, the last slave patrols uh, took place, I think, uh, I don't, I'm not going to quote the date here because I'll probably get it wrong. But the first Metropolitan Police Departments, which were the Boston Police Department and the New York Police Department, were started, I, I think, about 30 years after that. And both of their models were modeled after Metropolitan Police Departments in London. So to try to make that comparison between slave catchers and modern police departments is patently false. Besides that, it's disrespectful to the many black cops you know, or brown cops or cops from different backgrounds that have joined policing that are proud of that police lineage. Yeah. You know, it's a slap in the face to them. So basically you're calling them modern slave catchers. And my answer also to all that is, hey, listen, if you don't want black people locked up or you don't want minorities locked up, try to focus more on getting them not to commit crimes because cops just don't randomly lock people up. You know, I grew up in, in rough neighborhoods and I saw cops growing up, you know, on the corners patrolling around the areas. And stunningly, I've never been arrested because I've never been out there committing crimes. So, you know, it's just a, it's a patent false narrative. It's a falsehood. It's someone just trying to demonize the police department. And none of us are slave catchers. None of us want to go out there and fight with crooks, you know, on a daily basis. It's just a, it's an aspect of our job because we're trying to promote law, safety and order. I mean, it's pretty simple, um, but some people have decided to make it just so, so political. And I think that was born out of the George Floyd moment in this country, which was a perfect storm of events. You had people locked down because of the COVID virus, people terrified 
Uh, they couldn't leave their homes or if they did, you know, they had to take all these precautions. And then George Floyd was killed on the streets of Minneapolis, which is where I live. So I was very, you know, somewhat close to that event and affected by it. And it, the whole episode nauseated me. But to suggest that this is what cops do on a normal basis or that this is acceptable to all cop, cops was to me just not even just a slap in the face to the police, but like, a, a, how, how can you draw that conclusion? I, as you saw that episode unfold, what was your thought process? My first thought process was it was extremely unprofessional for Derek Chauvin to handle it the way he did. You know, we've always been taught about optics. You know, when I went through the police academy, we, we were taught about optics. People are filming you. People are looking at you. People are looking to demonize the profession. So in order for you to protect yourself and to protect, you know, just to be blunt, the profession, you've got to understand people are filming you and they're going to, you know, they're going to have their own narratives from filming you. So I always say what I would have done was I would have made it abundantly obvious. I'm trying to save George Floyd's life. I'm trying to do everything I can to help him out in that situation. You know, my, my main beef with that situation that day with uh, Derek Chauvin was he just looked unconcerned. He just looked like he was staring off into space. And and I feel more bad for the cops around him because from what I understand, they were all rookie cops that had no idea what to do in that situation. You know, I, I remember being a rookie cop and we were always told, you know, don't speak unless spoken to. You know, look, listen and learn. And that's it. We, we don't care about your opinion. So I, I'm sure those cops had that same talk and and they felt the same way. They were just trying to figure out what was going on in that situation. But to demonize all police from one situation, again, is irresponsible because I've spoken to cops who have picked up babies and ran to their cruisers to take them to the hospital. They weren't waiting for the EMTs to show up. You know, I've talked to cops who have gone above and beyond for the people in their neighborhoods that they protect in order, in order to get them groceries, in order to get them beds. You know, I, I know a cop personally who went out of his way to buy someone a bed just because she had she was sleeping on the floor with some blankets. You know, I, I've talked to cops who have gone out of their way to volunteer for PAL programs to try to sponsor kids. You know, me, myself, I've written college recommendation letters. I've written job recommendation letters. You know, I, I there's a guy I paid for his CDL license, which wasn't cheap, but in order to get what him, is a CDL license? It's a truck operator license. Oh, okay, okay. So in order for him to be able to provide commercial for his driver's family, license, yeah, okay, gotcha. Right, right. So in order for him to provide for his family, you know, he needed a means out, and I, I made him promise me he was going to use this license to better himself. And I, I spoke to him about a month ago, and he's doing very well. So, you know, the narrative that cops just don't care or, or they care about all their pensions or all they care about is just making money, you know, or they don't care about the people in the neighborhoods is false because when you talk to cops directly, you know, they have no choice but to care. And this notion that they, all they care about is making money, they're not paid highly enough, in my estimation. Exactly. Uh, for the work that you do, Zeke, for the work you do and putting your lives on the line, I mean, I just don't think people get it. And again, it's this lack of really looking at the facts. It's, you know, people are just willing to buy into a very simple narrative because they don't have to think too hard about it and because it's easy. And, and being a victim is easier 
than going out and dealing with adversity and, and getting on with your life. So in the wake of George Floyd, then you had the defund the police movement, which, uh, you know, it was so short-sighted and such a knee-jerk reaction to one bad cop. And that's not to suggest that there aren't, that there, you know, that he's the only one. But, you know, for all the interactions that police have across this country every day, to suggest that we need to defund the police because of this one momentous moment. And I, that's probably redundant, but you get the idea. I, I, I got to imagine you were scratching your head, but you tell me. Well, defund the police was over before it began. They couldn't even really defund any departments because everything they had was a pipe dream. You know, you're, you're telling me you're going to send a social worker to a violent person who has mental health problems you know, everyone saw the fallacy in that, you know, you're going to send, you're going to just going to talk to some gang members and convince them that the life that they're living is somehow wrong. Yeah. They know the life they're living is wrong. (laughs) So they, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever fireside chats you're going to have with them aren't going to work. You know, they, you know, or like Obama said, you have to change the hearts and the minds of of the robbers and the the gang members in the hood, you know, they, they, you're not going to do that because they're already set on their path. They already understand the problems and and the issues that are going to come with living that kind of lifestyle. But all they're focused on is money and power. So defund the police was over before it began, and it was never going to take off. That's why it didn't take off. It was a nice little pipe dream. It was a nice little, you know, in a perfect world, this could happen. But it was silly on all fronts. You know, if you're going to defund the police or you're going to abolish the police, as some elected officials were trying to say, oh, you know, we're just going to start over with a neighborhood program. Well, good good luck with that because the criminals didn't get that memo. And as we all saw from the summer of love in Hmm. in Seattle, you know, the the, the Chaz block of love that happened in, in Seattle and Portland, you know, criminals didn't get that memo and criminals are going to do what criminals do. So you had the, these couple of blocks that were controlled by criminals and people in that area paid the price for it. You know, someone someone was killed. Someone was flat out murdered. And that crime will never be solved because no one apparently no one saw what happened. So defund the police is a silly idea brought on by politicians who are trying to pander to their base. But at the end of the day, they know it's never going to happen. They know they need the police as much as anyone else does, and and it's never going to take off. And if you were to a- abolish the police, you would have a real-life purge, and no one wants that. No, no one wants that. And, I mean, we've already seen the repercussions. of If, if, if defund didn't take off, certainly morale took a hit. And I, I'd love to get your insights on, because I've talked to cops, and, and, and they look like they've aged. 20 years, just the, their, their faces are dropped, their, their countenance, the way they carry themselves. And, and they just want to do the right thing, but they feel so disrespected. And I remember seeing the videos in New York of people throwing water and other substances on cops in the wake of all of this. And it was just, it was disgusting to me. It was, it was just dehumanizing. And so the morale and the, 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 then the exodus of so many cops from the police forces around, particularly these, these big cities, what are you seeing as we sit here early March 2023? Well, thankfully, on my platform, I've been able to connect with cops all over uh, the 48 lower states and even a couple from Alaska, you know, a couple people from internationally. 
have been able to reach out to me just to discuss morale in their police departments. And pretty much everywhere except for Florida, they're all, yeah, Florida's the only place where like, this is great. We love it here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've, I've spoken to a, a ton of cops in Chicago who are, they're, they're just, they're done. And, and they don't even have a whole lot of time on the job. They've got five years or less, but they are just done. Seattle, they're leaving. They don't even care about the pension anymore or just staying long enough to have full retirement benefits. Uh, they're just done. They're, they're saying, you know what, I'll take the loss and I'll just start over someplace else, but I can't continue to work here. You know, Portland, you know, they're actively telling recruits, do not take this job. Do not, wow. you know, so, you know, in, in New York, I'm talking to cops who are who are filing for retirement. They wanted to stay for an extra five years. They wanted to stay for an extra 10 years. Uh, and they're just like, I can't do this anymore. So I'm leaving now and I'm going to Florida. I'm going to Texas. I'm going to other cop friendly jurisdictions yeah. because the, the quality of life is worth so much more to them than just a pension or full retirement benefits. You know, these are people with families. These are people who want to be there for their children. So, you know, if, if you are destroying them mentally and psychologically every day and every day you've got a new politician coming out and saying that they're anti-cop and you've got a new elected official coming out and saying that they want to defund the police, it's in their plans to defund the police. And you've got activist groups coming out and calling cops murderers, you know, cops are human beings. And this is going to take, to take a toll on their mindset and on their psyche. And they're trying not to bring this home. I talk to cops every day. They're saying they're trying not to bring this home but they can't help it because it's just a constant assault on everything they're doing. You know, they're going to work every day with the best of intentions and coming home feeling like they did no good that day. And the overwhelming majority of cops took this job because they want to do better in these neighborhoods. You know, a lot of cops are, are le what we call legacies. You know, their grandfather was a cop, their father was a cop and they're wearing, you know, their grandfathers and fathers shield proudly. And they feel like they can't do that anymore with the current state of politics and the current state of activism and the current state of wokeness. So they're, they're picking up and going elsewhere. You know, they're moving. They're saying, I, I just, I cannot do this anymore. And police departments across the country are feeling it. There's a drop down in recruitment rates in Chicago, in Portland, in New York. And if it keeps going this way, they're going to have to figure something out. These elected officials who want to defund the police or, or want to, condemn the cops for things that they didn't do are going to have to figure something out because the criminals are all still there. As a matter of fact, the criminals are actually gaining ground. There's more criminals out there. And if you want your area to be safe, if you want your neighborhood to be safe, if you want your community to stay safe, you're going to have to change your tune. Either that or the pro-cop side is going to have to actively speak out against all this. I hate to simplify it like this, but the world feels upside down, doesn't it? Doesn't it kind of feel like it's upside down, like things are just backwards and flipped and all over the place? So I never thought I would consider survival food, like having stored food for that that's good for up to 25 years in the back of my pantry in case there are food shortages. But after the pandemic, I, I can see it now. And after some of these issues with supply chains and the rest, I can see it now. This is where Four Patriots comes in. This is an American company that employs about 200 Americans. They are called Four Patriots because a portion every, of every one of their sales goes to uh, charities that support veterans. And we love that. Now, what are these? These are food kits. 
and they're stackable, waterproof, they're compact, they fit right in the back of your pantry, or you can put them in your basement. It's not ordinary food. We're talking about good for 25 years superfood kits. Uh, handpicked, like I said, at a family-owned facility. They're compact, sturdy. They have different delicious breakfast, lunches, dinners. And right now you can go to fourpatriots.com. Use code Michelle, that's with one L, to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, including this three-month survival kit. You'll get their famous year-long guarantee after you order, plus free shipping on orders over 97 bucks. They're called Four Patriots, as I mentioned, because... They donate to charities who support our vets and their families. So just go to fourpatriots.com and use code Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, to get 10% off. That's the number four, patriots.com, code Michelle, and start building your backup plan, your stockpile, today. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. You, as I mentioned earlier, are just fearless on Twitter. And I think people love authentic fearlessness. And that's what you exude. Your pinned tweet, meaning the one that people will always see when they first come to your pages, wearing this to my kids' next PTA meeting. There'll be no indoctrinating or grooming going on while I'm on watch. And what you're wearing is a T-shirt that says, just a dad trying not to raise a liberal. I'm sure now that has 104,000 likes. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure that there were, there was some backlash. Do you remember some of the most absurd backlash to that? Oh, wow. Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it actually improved my point because if you look in some of the comments, you have people threatening me. You have people threatening my daughter who's seven years old. You oh, know, my God. You, know, you have people threatening my family. You know, you have people actively rooting for my daughter to now turn into a liberal, you know? So, I mean, it actually, it proved my point because the indoctrination and the grooming has gotten so bad that people can't even have a a discourse now. You know, I I wore that shirt because, you know, you see what's going on in in classrooms with teachers. You know, they see themselves as activists now more than teachers. Yeah. And they want to put different flags up in the classroom in order to have the children ask questions because children are naturally curious and they want to now put their uh, uh, ideas into a child's head. And that's not their job. That's not their place. So it's me fighting back against all of that. It's me saying, you know what? My daughter is going to be taught here at home by my wife and I's values. And we're not going to have anyone come in here and, and try to dissuade her from that or try to put their ideas into our child's head. That's not their job. That's not their place. You know, as as police officers, we're not allowed to publicly show our political 
uh, affiliations or put our personal thoughts out there. You know, if I, I could feel one way all day. When I serve the public, I am unbiased or I'm supposed to be unbiased. I'm supposed to be able to treat everyone equally. And as teachers, it's not their job to put their ideas into children's heads or try to indoctrinate them in some way or try to say, hey, listen, this is who I am. And this is who you should be as well. No, right. their, their job is to teach. So I've always been advocating for some sort of oversight in, in classrooms, whether it's cameras, whether it's yeah. you know an independent monitor or something in every classroom, you know, something to just, you know, there, there are great teachers out there. There, yes. you know, there, there are teachers out there who just want to teach, who deeply care about children, who believe in their job. But then there are teachers out there who are activists and who, who, in my opinion, want to poison the mind of children. And and I don't think there's anything as too much of a fight for children. So that's why I wore the shirt. That's why I made the tweet. And you know what? If people are angry about that tweet, then, yeah, that tweet is directed towards them. For everybody else who gets it, thank you so much for the support. <laughs> you got a lot of it. Yeah, there are a couple things you mentioned. You, you talked about putting up flags in their classrooms and, you know, the thin blue line flag that supports the cops has become to some a symbol of racism. To them, you would say what? To them, I would say racism, how? There, there is no law that is directly against black or brown people or, or minorities. There is no statute that directly impacts black or brown or, or minority communities saying, you know, cops have to directly go after them. I was I would just ask how if you think these laws are racist, if you think policing is racist, how now are there racist cops out there? Possibly. But the overwhelming majority of people in law enforcement simply want to do what every other person wants to do. Go to work, do their job and come home. If one class of people is disproportionately uh, committing crimes, well, then that's where they're going to put police because that's where you need police. So law isn't racist. Police aren't racist. Maybe it starts at home. Maybe it starts in the community. Maybe you need to look at your community and figure out why are there so many cops here? Why are there cops on the corner? Why are there, Why is there a cop car riding by every five minutes? And then figure out, okay, who do we have to talk to? Who do we have to get out of our community? Who do we have to fix in order for that not to happen? Listen, I grew up in a high crime neighborhood. I saw a whole lot of cop cars. I saw a whole lot of cops on foot posts, making sure the community was safe. I moved and I'm in a different neighborhood now. I rarely ever see a cop car. Matter of fact, when one comes down the block, it's, it's like, oh, hey, look at that. You know, because <laughs> yeah. we, we, we just don't see it where I live now. So, but you know, where I live now, there's not that high crime element. The cops don't have to work as hard as opposed to where I grew up and the cops had to work hard. But the attitude's different here. If, if, if a crime is going on here, it's, it's reported. You know, people will call 911 and hey, get that person off our corner. You know, in, in where I grew up, there was crime happening right in front of us and no one called the cops. You know, there was a, there was that no snitching attitude going on. Uh, yeah. So that has to change. So it's not policing and law that is racist, it, but the people it, it, uh, in the, these areas need to stop being victims and need to take back control of their neighborhoods from a minority of people who directly want to destroy that neighborhood for their own personal gain. You also mentioned, you know, indoctrination in classrooms and that you have this young, precious daughter. And I was reading earlier today that there are an estimated 6,000 school districts, I believe, 
that are allowing teachers to hide when a child says, oh, I want to change my pronouns. I want to change my gender. I want to, at school, I want to identify as the opposite sex. And, and, and they are sworn to not tell parents. I, it, this notion that teachers are stepping into the roles of parents and, and in fact, prohibiting parents from knowing specific things about their own children. I, I don't, there are a few things that make my blood boil as much. How, how do we, where do we start with that? How do we counter that? It starts with us as parents. We have to be able to tell our children, you can tell us anything. Mm-hmm. You know, just to counter that, because parents are fighting a battle right now, like I said, against activist teachers. You know, I've always said, once you see yourself as an activist, it's going to bleed into everything else you're doing. You, you're going to become an activist parent. You're going to become an activist, whatever your job is. You know, if you go to church, you're going to be an activist in church, you know, and I like to say that activism, while while it's a good thing in some cases, that real rabid, you know, woke activism destroys everything. It makes you, it, it takes away from everything. It makes you worse at whatever it is you're trying to do. So to have these teachers out there who are now saying, oh, you don't have to tell your parents, tell us, tell us how you feel and, and we'll take care of it for you. You know, that's I don't understand how anyone can see that and not understand it's destructive. It's corrosive towards the relationship between a child and their parents. But like I said, now you have these activists now who want to feel good about what they're doing. So now they're trying to influence children. They want to feel they want some sort of affirmation as to how they live their lives and what they're doing in their own personal lives. So now they're looking at children and going, you can talk to us. We're going to bring you on to our side. It, it, it's it's almost like a new level of bullying to me because oh. you have, you know, they, they're not picking on yeah. someone who can talk back to them and go, you know, no, I'm not going to just talk to you and, yeah. and leave this out of my parents. You know, they, they're, they're, they're picking on people who they have influence over children, you know, young children, even high school children who are still trying to figure out what they're trying to do. Their, their brains are still developing. Exactly. This is who they're picking I- on. This is who they're picking on. And, you know, it's amazing that we took a, a college coach had to go to court in order to be able to pray with his his players after after a game. After a game, pray with the players. He gets fired. He has to go to court to defend that because they're saying, well, he's an authority figure. And so he could influence kids who really don't want to pray. He could force them to pray because they don't want to lose their spot on the team. Well, how is that? Now, if you're going to apply that logic to that moment of praying with a coach, how do you not apply that logic to teachers who are hiding children from their parents who are saying, your secret's safe with me? Uh, How do we not know that they are putting these ideas in the kids' heads by saying, you can be any gender you want. You may think you're a boy, but you might not be a boy. You may think you're a girl. You may not be a girl. You may be anything in between. And now the kids are going, oh, yes, teacher, I love my teacher. So therefore, she must be right or he must be right. And and that's not that's that's okay. But asking your team if they want to pray with you is not. I mean, it's it's unbelievable to me, Zeke. I I completely agree. You know, I I tell a funny story that when I was three years old, I I said to my mom uh, at the time, I wish I didn't have a penis. And (laughs) and thankfully, (laughs) My mom wasn't woke. <laughs> my mom, my mom is the direct opposite of woke. So my mom just kind of like looked at me and said, "Okay," and ignored me. 
You know, my mom tells me this story. I personally don't remember it, but my mom. I was going to say, if you remember that, that's something. No, my my mom tells me that story because she thought it was funny and she kind of just left me alone. But thank God my mom wasn't one of these woke parents today because I think I'd make a pretty ugly woman. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, 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 my, if, if these parents nowadays hear this, the first thing they want to do is take their kid to gender affirming uh, surgery and now we're going to put them on puberty blockers and now we're going to put them in dresses and, oh, this is what my son said to me. So he, he's obviously a girl in a boy's body, you know, and, yeah. and, and to me, that's, that's abuse because kids don't yeah. know what they're saying. You know, my daughter. They don't know. You're, you just said their brains are still developing. And I mean, we're talking about children. If you right. want to, you know, say when they become adults, 18, you know, Hey, junior, why don't you hold off on that thought about wishing you didn't have a penis and we're, we're going to deal with it. Cause you know what? You do have a penis and there's yeah. really nothing we can do about that. <laughs> so let's just hold off and see how you feel in another few years. And you know, it seems to me, you probably changed your mind, Zeke. <laughs> yeah, well, somewhere along the way. Absolutely. <laughs> But I mean, that this, this idea that, that kids should guide the parents to, to, to parenting them. Mommy, I feel like, or, you know, oh, I could tell my son. Now, look, um, Caitlyn Jenner says she was transsexual from a very young age. It's, it's an interest. She's an interesting person to listen to because she has handled herself the way that she has and she, she doesn't think that this is for everyone. And she also sees some issues with allowing this to happen too young. And my gosh, Zeke, we're seeing a surge in this. So clearly this is like, it almost feels fad-like to me. Like, oh, it's really cool to be non-binary. And so therefore I'm going to do it or an attention-seeking uh, device. So I, I I don't know. Does your seven-year-old hear anything in her classes yet that, you know, she needs to learn new pronouns or anything? No, thankfully not at all. You know, and my wife and I talk to her every day to ask her what happened in school and, and what did the yeah. teacher say to you? And, you know, you understand you can talk to us if anything happens, right? Listen, my, my seven-year-old, all she cares about is, you know, playing her little games on her computer and playing with her dolls and talking to her friends. You know, she, she doesn't care about what gender she is or whether she's gender fluid or whether she's, you know, feels like a cat today. You know, a, a, a couple of years ago, she wanted to be a fairy princess, you know, because she was watching a whole bunch of cartoons on TV. So she walked right. around with fairy wings all the time. Yeah. You know, that, that, yeah. that's all she cares about. She doesn't care about anything else. She doesn't come home and say, hey, mommy, I think I'm a boy today. Or, hey, daddy, you know, I think I'm a boy. Today. Like, she doesn't care about any of that. So I look at all these children now who, who have these ideas in their head. You know, oh, I think I'm a boy now. You know, I think I'm a girl today. Oh, I think I want to be a cat today. I think I'm a tiger today. You know, yeah. this is all parents and their influence over children. These are all adults doing this to children. And like I said, children, they want approval. They want to feel like they're doing the right thing in grown-ups' eyes. So if a grown-up is saying to them, oh, I think you're a boy, and they're saying it over and over again, this is where the children are going to go. Oh, that is a that is a scary thought because you can you see it happening all over TikTok. That's that's for sure. All right, a couple more of your tweets before I let you go. Um, here's one that just in the last 24 hours, leftists say January 6 was so awful for the police officers. Some of them got injured, and that is unacceptable. There are heroes. Also, leftists 
The summer of love riots were completely peaceful and video evidence of cops getting assaulted, police vehicles getting destroyed and police precincts getting taken over or attempting to be taken over were the cops fault. Also defund the police. So yes, you're talking about the fact that the left is talking out of both sides of its mouth. You know, it's, it's really something I, I think both sides can be guilty of these things, but it seems, well, obviously I'm a little bit biased, but it seems to me that it is really pronounced, particularly in that example. And you being a cop, you, you know, uh, it, this has got to just hit you right between the eyes. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Both sides can be guilty of it, but it seems like it's just so much more prevalent on the left, especially when it comes to January 6th and and how they all of a sudden now honor police. You know, these are the same these are the same people who a day before were saying defund the police and, you know, uh, maybe we need to reimagine policing. And you had even had some elected officials of Congress saying we need to abolish the police while they had their own security programs, you know, were spending tens of thousands of dollars on their own personal security because yeah. they were important people. But, but you know, you have to defund the police or abolish the police in their represented districts, which I don't understand how people heard that and still wanted to vote for them. But this is where that, we are. Yeah, that is a mystery <laughs> to me. That is a mystery to me how these people can continue to get votes. I, I just I don't understand it. Uh, you're clearly would you describe yourself as a conservative? I would I would describe myself as more of a uh, libertarian conservative because I okay. you know I still do believe in personal freedom. I still do believe that you know listen as long as you're not hurting someone or or per- directly infringing on their freedoms, you know with very limited exceptions, go for it, live your life. You know I I, yeah. I think th- I think the government uh, gets involved too much in people's lives, and the more the government steps back and people can just live their lives and be neighbors and look at each other as neighbors, we, we, we tend to all get along, no matter how you vote, no matter what your racial background is or sexual preference or anything. If you leave people alone, they tend to get along. It's not until yeah, the government gets along and or the, the activists come into play and then the government bowing to the activists that all of a sudden everyone wants to fight each other. Given your your political stance um, and, and that, that what you've just described and the fact that you're black, it, it seems to me that black conservatives get attacked. They're almost a marginalized group. If you want to, if you want to be honest about it, I mean, it's as though you have betrayed your, your, your fellow black people. It's as though you are the the uncle Tom. They want to give you all these names that nauseate me, frankly, like, like you don't have a mind of your own. So when you're confronted with that, how do you respond? I mean, honestly, I've heard it so many times <laughs> during the course of having my Twitter account, I'm just kind of used to it by now. You know, uh, honestly, not a day goes by where either somewhere in my tweet responses or in my DMs, I, I get called all kinds of things. There, there were a couple of things I got called. I actually had to look it up just to figure out, was, was that a slur? <laughs> oh yeah, that was a slur. You know, <laughs> people have gotten created. And, and listen, I've said to them, Hey, listen, I've never heard that one before. I'm actually impressed. You know, you, yeah. you got a new one. I, I take it with a sense of humor. But, you know, listen, if if I'm getting people upset, that means that they're listening. And that means that somewhere the truth is hitting them. My great grandmother used to say all the time, no one ever died from hurt feelings. You know, people tend to recover pretty quickly from hurt feelings. So if I'm hurting your feelings with the truth, I'm happy I'm doing so because the truth is out there. I like to pride myself on saying, you know, to me, the truth is a direct line. I don't have to 
you know, explain the truth. I don't have to, you know, reach for the truth. I don't have to, you know, uh, uh, spin things in order to get to the truth. The truth is where it is. So I've always been on the side of the truth. A lot, something a lot, uh, a lot of other black people say to me is, "Well, you have to remember, you were black first. Well, yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> I, I have a functioning mirror. I, I completely understand. <laughs> I, I'm black. How, however, I'm on the side of the truth. You know, if if I'm trying to fit the truth to to go into a certain narrative, then it's a lie. So as long as I tell the truth, I'm okay. I love what your great grandmother said. It's kind of like what Chris Rock said in his special the other night. People who think words hurt have never been punched in the face. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> sticks and stones, people. Sticks and stones. You got to get back to that basic childhood rule. I recommend that everyone follow him, Zeke Z E E K Arkham, uh, and that's your Twitter handle at Zeke Arkham. Cop with attitude. The notorious COP. This is this is my favorite. Pronouns are bruh and brother. <laughs> <laughs> all opinions, my own American Patriot hashtag all lives matter. What an absolute pleasure to listen to you and to, to hear all of your thoughts. I, this has been a joy for me, Zeke, and I hope we can do it again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. The honor's mine. Yeah, you bet. Anytime. Don't forget folks, this has been sideline sanity. And the two things I always say at the end of every show, be brave and do good. Thanks for listening. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.